Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, we are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We have this program to help people, I I know it may sound difficult to believe, to be at home in their hymnal. A clever and catchy title. What do you think of that, Pastor? Boy, I I mean, I just wish I could market it somehow, you know, maybe t-shirts or... Yeah, yeah. uh, Well, I have to admit, I came up with that title. Uh, and uh, seriously, we, uh, we, we want people to be at home in their hymnal, whether they're in the divine worship service with their brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they're at home with their individual or family devotions. It is a, a bygone era when people would bring their hymnals to church, when people had hymnals in every room, and uh, we'd, like to, we'd like to encourage people to consider that. That's one thing that the pandemic has done. People have been more and more open to having a hymnal in their home and uh, using it individually because they don't want to get any germs, but uh, that's been a really, really good thing. For the last several episodes, we've been looking at uh, Lutheran hymns, and I know it's a subjective thing, but we've talked about Lutheran hymns that every Lutheran should know or consider knowing. And for uh, more specifically, more recently, we've been looking at communion hymns, Lord's Supper hymns. And as you heard on the intro, today we are looking at LSB 622. Lord Jesus Christ, you have prepared. Pastor, what's your uh, e- just initial thoughts of this particular communion hymn? Well, uh, it is a, a commonly sung one, a traditional Lutheran one, and uh, you know it does get some clarity about the theology of what we're hap- what's happening in the Lord's Supper, and so in that way, it is a, a a good one for us to know. It's easy to sing, and so I think that makes it a little bit more accessible for people. Um, so we'll have to take a look at it here. Okay. the uh, This hymn has a uh, kind of a long history in uh, the Lutheran Church. The author is a gentleman by the name of Samuel, and I believe it's Kinner. That's what we decided, didn't we? Yes, sir. Um, I think some people today might want to say Kiner, but I think it's Kinner. And uh, 1603 to 1668. Pastor, you're our resident historian. So what can you tell us about the uh, time frame in Germany uh, with regard to that early 17th century? Yeah, so uh, he would have been born uh, at 1603, which would make him 15 years old um, when about 100 miles away from his town over in uh, what is today uh, the Czech, Re- or, yeah, Czech Republic uh, in Prague, the second defenestration of Prague took place, which the uh, Protestants and Catholics got into a little bit of an argument, and it ended up with the Catholics being thrown out of a window. Um, the uh, tradition is, is that uh, he landed in a pile of manure and thus was spared any harm. Uh, the Catholic tradition, on the other hand, is that uh, uh, angels came and carried him down safely. Uh, but as a result of this conflict between the two sides, uh, the Thirty Years' War began. And so um, Samuel would have been 15 years old when the Thirty Years' War began. And a lot of it would have taken place pretty close to where he lived. He would have lived on the eastern edge of Germany. Uh, today it's a part of Poland, um, not far from Krakow. Um, and so 
he would have been embroiled in a lot of this and it would have affected a lot of his life uh, as far as people being killed in mass. Uh, the plague went through the area at that time. And uh, as we're going to learn in a minute, maybe um, he also was a doctor. And so you can imagine him cutting his teeth as a doctor dealing with plague, dealing with war wounds, dealing with all the other issues that were in existence during the uh, uh, 17th century in Europe. I was going to ask you about his uh, rich theological education, the number of parishes that he served, all of those things, but you already stole my thunder there. He wasn't a pastor, was he? No, no, he wasn't. And I think this is important. Um you don't have to be a pastor to understand theology or to study it. You don't have to be a pastor to be able to write beautiful hymns. In fact, lots of our really good hymns that we have are not written by pastors because uh, pastors, we are really good at theology, but we're not so good at rhyming and verse, and we're not so good at tunes sometimes. And so uh, it is good for lay people to be well-versed in theology uh, so that they can fill in the gaps where we fall short. We uh, debated quite a bit before we started this program on how much detail we were going to get into. Uh, critics would say that this is a poetic and artistic masterpiece. And uh, we're not going to get into all the different rhyming meters and uh, the symmetry and asymmetry and all of those things. But, uh, Pastor, just, just briefly, the, the poetic brilliance that is displayed here as a way to carry on and bring to the people of God rich biblical theology. Yeah, so uh, in the... Um hymnal companion from the Lutheran worship uh, hymnal. Uh, you were reading here before we got started about the hymn being written in iambic pentameter uh, and having uh, uh, irregular verses uh, in, as far as their length and then also uh, its rhyming scheme being very direct as well. And it was originally written in German, of course, and so that's a, a pretty amazing thing to be. Iambic pentameter, pentameter is uh, lots of times we think about it, we think of William Shakespeare who wrote in that style. Uh, da -da 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 -da. Uh, that's the iambic pentameter. And so to be able to take the theology and put it into that very specific sort of format poetically uh, really is a great gift. And now even uh, to be able to be translated into English by uh, um, the guy, what's his name, Cronenvet, to have that be able to be translated into English and still be a beloved, easy-to-sing hymn and yet carry the great theology is a, a really great thing. Yeah, Emmanuel Cronenvet, I believe, is, is the uh, translator there. He's got a good beard. so Yeah, I know you were looking that up on uh, Google before. Uh, before, before we uh, hear that first verse in its entirety, Pastor, would you want to read that first verse and so we can talk about it a little bit theologically? Sure. Lord Jesus Christ, you have prepared this feast for our salvation. It is your body and your blood, and at your invitation, as weary souls with sin oppressed, we come to you for needed rest, for comfort and for pardon. Okay, so there we have uh, verse 1, LSB 622, Lord Jesus Christ, you have prepared. And we get the picture here of uh, someone preparing a meal, preparing a feast, like a, uh, like a waiter or a butler or a cook, um, a host, 
all of those things kind of fit in here, Pastor. What sticks out for you? Well, when you read it like that, you can notice the uh, the meter to the, the poetry, and so that is really clear even in the English translation. We do have most of the rhyming that fits in there also. I think theologically speaking, we're seeing a picture now that this uh, table, this meal that we're going to, the feast for our salvation, is prepared by Christ, and it's alluding then to uh, the scriptures where we talk about partaking in the heavenly wedding feast of Christ our Lord, where he is wed to the church uh, and uh, the the feast with the finest foods and the best of wines that Isaiah talks about. Uh, and we are told very clearly that that finest food and best of wine is the body and blood of Jesus that he has given to us. It then nourishes our weary souls and gives us needed rest so that we are able to uh, trudge throughout this sinful world step by step, day by day, uh, participating in heaven and looking forward to being there in fullness uh, when we leave this world behind. You know, we've we've uh, analyzed several hymns already uh, during this uh, particular program emphasis, looking at uh, Lutheran hymns. And sometimes the, uh, the hymn writer uh, starts out kind of slow and builds and builds and builds. And the last hymn that we did, you know, the, the big theological verse was verse 7. And here, um, he just comes right out of the chute. He just comes right out of the chute. It is your body and your blood. Uh, there's, he's not holding anything back. He's not pulling any punches. When you come to the Lord's Supper, uh, you don't have to wonder what it is. It is the very body and blood of Jesus in and under bread and wine given for us Christians to eat and drink. When we uh, get toward the end of that first stanza, Pastor, as weary souls with sin oppressed, we come to you for needed rest, for comfort, and for pardon. How is that um, illustrating poetically the fact that we are weary because of our sin, and what gives us rest is the forgiveness of sin? Well, I, th I think it does a good job of it. I mean, we all know the weariness of this world that's brought about by sin, both our own and the sin of other people that affects us. Uh, and I think a lot of people, and maybe even especially right now, are feeling that weariness where the... Um, challenges, the difficulties, the conflicts, the um, illness and sickness is really bearing down upon us hard. And the escape that we have then is is not to run away from it, not to move to the Bahamas and sit on the beach all day drinking Mai Tais. Uh, rather, the, the rescue, the rest from the sin of this world is the forgiveness that we receive in the body and blood of Jesus. In other words, uh, the place where we find Sabbath rest is at church where God gives his gifts to us, and, and I think that's really brought through here in a nice way. Sabbath rest and pardon for our sins. Let's listen to stanza one, LSB 622, Lord Jesus Christ, you have prepared.
That was stanza one, LSB 622, Lord Jesus Christ, you have prepared. And I probably should point out, if you're following along with LSB, what we were able to find on the uh, on YouTube or on the internet for us to listen to these words today is actually a recording of TLH, the Lutheran Hymnal 306. So you'll notice a few these and thys instead of yous and yours in there. TLH 306 and LSB 622 are exactly the same. Eight stanzas, a little bit of uh, modernization and cleaning up in the language with uh, LSB 622, but otherwise it is virtually the exact same hymn. So, Pastor, um, as you heard that tune with those words, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, wedding or melding the two together. What, uh, what are your thoughts there? Well, like I said, it is a straightforward and simple hymn. It does have uh, the the tune is able to be sung by people in a very easy. It's accessible. There's yeah, uh, and so in that way, it doesn't take a lot of work. It's not in a minor key. It's not really bold. It just kind of uh, simply carries the word and yet complements them, letting the words be the focus and the the main idea of everything going on. Okay, we need to take our first break. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. We're looking at LSB 622. Lord Jesus Christ, you have prepared. We'll be back after a short break. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. This is episode 47 of At Home in Your Hymnal. Uh, We're looking at communion hymns, and today we have parked the car at LSB 622, Lord Jesus Christ, you have prepared. In our opening segment, we uh, did a little introductory work on uh, this hymn. We talked a little bit about the author of this hymn. We don't know a whole lot about him, but he knows we know that he was a layman, he was a physician, and he uh, toiled during the uh, 30 Years' War. Pastor Moline uh, talked about that in, uh, in great detail. And we also know that he uh, entered the service of Duke of Leignitz Brieg as counselor and court physician. A pretty prestigious position, wouldn't you say, Pastor? Well, it is uh, prestigious to be a court physician, and you have to understand what that means. Uh, when you become a court physician, the ruler, the king of that particular area, and this is uh, kind of bringing to an end the feudal age, um, that 
that ruler and that king uh, has a court of people that are always there to serve him and advise him and follow him around wherever he goes. And those are the people on the inn uh, with the king. And so in that way, he is kind of in an important position dealing with the, the ruler of uh, Brieg at that time. Uh, kind of like the doc, Dr. Fauci of, uh, of his day, or is that a little too much? You, yeah, I guess we could say that. Um, <laughs> Whether you like him or not, I mean, right, that's I, not the point. Uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the idea, and and so uh, this guy that he's the uh, court physician for, a Christian Duke of Brieg, uh, is kind of a, a famous, well-known guy in, as far as in the um, medieval, uh, not medieval, but uh, uh, this time period in Germany. Well, when he uh, when he wrote this hymn, and uh, it is a he titled it himself a beautiful hymn on the supper of our Lord, and it is uh, certainly um, written with the intent of preparing for uh, receiving the Lord's supper, receiving the Lord's supper, pondering on the gift of the Lord's supper after you receive it. So in that way, it's almost a perfect hymn of preparation of reception and reflection upon God's gift of the forgiveness of sins in the Lord's Supper. Yeah, it is, and I think that's why it's important as we receive the Lord's Supper. Uh, you know, it takes a minute or two of the, the time to walk up and get the Lord's Supper and then to go back and sit down in that in between time where everyone else is also doing the same thing, it's important for us to, even if we're not singing, at least read the words of the hymns and consider what it is that we're coming into contact with when we come to the Lord's Supper. The the God who created us and died and rose for us is coming to us uh, so that we can eat him and live forever, and that's an important thing for us to consider. Amen, brother. Uh, we heard stanza two as we came back from our break. You want to read those words, Pastor? Sure. Although you did to heaven ascend, where angel hosts are dwelling, and in your presence they beheld your glory all excelling, and though your people shall not see your glory and your majesty tell dawns the judgment morning. You know, this is a, a, a beautiful reference to the uh, what sometimes is a confusing theology of the ascension of our Lord. Uh, Jesus ascended into heaven bodily, physically, and uh, Scripture teaches us that he sits at the right hand of God. And so people have a hard time believing that Jesus can be in heaven and on our altar in with and under bread and wine at the same time. Uh, many people shy away from even celebrating the ascension of our Lord because they think it teaches a real absence of Jesus as opposed to a real presence. How does this stanza, stanza two, uh, attack that head on? Well, I think uh, it's it's building us up for stanza three, where that idea is is really nailed down very clearly that God is present even here with our congregation now, uh, and so it's it's setting itself up as the foil for what's to come. That you know there are those who say Jesus is stuck up in heaven, and uh, that's the only way we're going to get him. And so the uh, hymn writer is kind of putting that forward now. Uh, God's glory, He's in heaven, and we don't see it right now. We will on the last day. The definitely acknowledges that, but it's setting us up for the next one where it says, even though that's the case, we do get Jesus to come to us now. You, you are absolutely right, because verse 2 kind of poses the question or the argument against 
the real presence. You've ascended into heaven. We can't see you. We know that you're going to come again um, on judgment day at the end of the world. But what about now? That's kind of the implied question that's raised in stanza two. You want to read stanza three now, and then we'll hear it? Sure. Yet, Savior, you are not confined to any habitation, but you are present even now here with your congregation. Firm as a rock, this truth shall stand, unmoved by any daring hand or subtle craft and cunning. Okay, how how does that answer the question posed in stanza two? Well, it's great because it says... God is God, and, and as a result, he's not confined to any particular locale. He can be wherever he wishes, when he wishes, however he wishes. Uh, and then it's great because it says, and the way that he wishes is to be present here in the body and the blood uh, that we as a congregation of Christians are going to eat and drink. And I even love this, uh, the last way it, it ends, uh, it says, those who think otherwise are operating under craft and cunning. In other words, they're trying to be deceitful or use human logic to explain away what God himself promises. And it's really, um, just to be completely direct, it's stabbing uh, the uh, uh, Calvinists in the side and twisting the knife and saying, you guys are making a big mistake here uh, with your theology. And a misunderstanding of the doctrine of the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that is that is why we have worked so hard here at Good Shepherd to make sure that we emphasize the ascension of Jesus. We celebrate the ascension of Jesus with a worship service every year, and uh, we hit this continuing question head on. How can Jesus be in heaven and at the altar at the same time? He says so, and by the power of the word, he is. Let's listen now to stanza three, LSB 622, Lord Jesus Christ, you have prepared. Firm as a rock, this truth shall stand. Pastor, what truth is the hymn writer teaching us there? The truth that Jesus is really, truly present in, with, and under the bread and wine for us Christians to eat and drink for forgiveness, life, and salvation. And that is a truth because God says it and God cannot lie. What uh, what an awesome way. And uh, Pastor, just, just a couple of comments here. You know, sometimes we get a hymn that is uh, very, very poetic and beautiful, but it doesn't really say anything. It's just kind of like beautiful poetry. How is this hymn so far, and we've only been through the first three stanzas, how is this hymn... Um, not only beautiful and poetic and with all of those rhyme and meter and symmetry things that I don't even understand, how is it teaching the deep, deep 
truths of the faith as we sing it? Well, uh, what, what I like about it here is it's teaching these deep, deep truths is that it is addressing questions that people had back then and that people have right now. Well, how can Christ be in this bread when he's also in heaven? Well, he's given an answer. Uh, how can uh, bread and wine do such great things? He's giving an answer. He's, he's addressing the questions that we have, and he's giving us what Scripture teaches about these things. And, and I think you can see behind these words, he's basing these answers on what Scripture says, for example, in 1 Corinthians 11, where Jesus says, this is my body, and it's saying, look, this is what Christ says, this is my body. Uh, And he says, take and drink, this is my blood. And he's saying, yeah, that's what we're saying. And so he's basing all these answers to the questions on the clear word of Scripture so that we can understand them. And setting it to meter and to poetry and uh, to a simple tune like this allows us to easily learn it. It's easier to learn something to music than it is to just memorize a bunch of rote words. And uh, it teaches us also that you can have a beautiful hymn that is doctrinally rich and a true teaching tool in the church. I think too often, uh, and we've, we've talked about this before, Pastor, we, uh, we don't give the people in the pew enough credit. They can handle the deep truths of Scripture. They can handle um, deep theology and doctrine. And uh, to think that they can't or that they are somehow incapable of doing that unless they have a collar on their neck or been to the seminary is uh, is a shameful kind of a thing. That's exactly right. So uh, we have kind of a little bit of a shift of gears now. Uh, Verses 2 and 3 really go together with regard to the doctrine of the ascension. Now in verse or stanza 4, Pastor, would you want to read those words? And then we'll hear that going into the next break. Sure. We eat this bread and drink this cup, your precious word believing, that your true body and your blood our lips are here receiving. This word remains forever true. All things are possible with you, for you are Lord Almighty. We'll talk about that uh, stanza when we come back. Let's hear it now as we go into our next break. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. 
We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We uh, have worship services every Sunday morning at 8 and 10.30 a.m. We use LSB hymnal exclusively. We uh, sing and chant the liturgy. We sing the hymns, both new and old, of Lutheranism. We uh, take great care in uh, making sure that the worship and the doctrine and theology of worship are presented in a faithful way to Scripture. Come join us anytime. We worship also on Wednesday evenings at 6.30, and everything we do is on our radio station, KNNALP 95.7, here in and around Lincoln. Check us out on the website, thecross957.org, or you can go to KNNA Theological Programming on your favorite podcast provider, and you can check out a lot of the programs but that we have, including At Home in Your Hymnal. This is episode 47. We're looking at Lord Jesus Christ you have prepared. When we uh, went into the last break, we uh, listened to stanza four, Pastor, and we also um, heard a little bit the tail end of stanza four when we came back from our break. Let's, uh, let's take a look at this, uh, this stanza because, to me, this is an extremely significant theological uh, I mean, they all have been to this point, quite frankly. But this is an extremely important theological stanza for us. You want to uh, you want to pick that apart a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I don't think we've read that, have we? Or did we read that? Yeah, we, we did. We read verse 4, yeah. We read it. Okay. We eat this bread and drink this cup, your precious word believing. What word is the hymn writer talking about as we eat bread and drink the wine that is in the cup, we are to believe a precious word. What is that precious word? It, it is the, the verba, uh, the, the words of Christ that we say every time we have the Lord's Supper. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup, the wine, is my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Those are the words that we're thinking of. And, of course, behind those, we also have to have the rest of the gospel and even the, the doctrine and theology that comes with it because it carries that. Uh, we need all of it to fit together the whole uh, kitten caboodle to make it uh, to make it work, and as we, I mean, and all doctrine and theology flows from the verba, the words of institution. That we need to make sure that we have the right starting point because if we don't start at the right place, we're going to end up someplace uh, someplace wacky. So uh, this is a description of the Christian who is coming to the altar who is actually eating and drinking bread and wine, believing the word of God. And then in the next part of stanza four, that your true body and your blood, our lips are here receiving. Pastor, why is it significant that the hymn writer says, we are receiving the body and blood of Jesus on our lips? 
Well, there are those Christians out there who don't teach that, who teach that the Lord's Supper is a memorial meal or just a, uh, the church I grew up in did that, you know, we're remembering Jesus when we're eating this uh, cracker and drinking this juice. Um, And that's not what scripture teaches. It says, this is my body, this is my blood. It means Jesus really is there, that we're really partaking in him and participating in in, uh, his forgiveness, just as those who ate manna in the wilderness were really eating real food uh, from heaven. And so in the same way, we're partaking in Christ uh, and the forgiveness that he offers. The the teaching that you talk about there where uh, people would deny that we are physically eating the body and blood of Jesus with our lips, um, many times people will talk about, well, you know, I, I eat him or I receive him in my heart. Or I, I think about him because, because Jesus says, you know, to do this in remembrance of him. And then I ascend up into heaven mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And it becomes almost a mystical experience. And uh, the Lord's Supper is as tangible and as opposite from a, I mean, it's not that we don't feel anything, but it's the opposite of a mystical experience that so many people seem to be craving or looking for in their spirituality. Is, is that a fair representation, Pastor? Well, yeah, it, that's the real issue, right? And I think even those people, are they're well-meaning, but they're not really reading what the Scriptures say. You know, when we do this in remembrance of me, uh, it doesn't just mean that um, we remember Christ. It also, it's great um, the way that it says says it here in the the Greek is you're doing this in my remembrance. The remembrance of me is how we, we can say the same thing both ways. But when you think about it and, and the word order here, in the of me remembrance. In other words, Christ is also remembering us to give us these gifts and to pour out his grace upon us and uh, to give himself to us so that we can be forgiven. It's taking the words and not really understanding what they mean, just taking a simple English explanation uh, rather than what the actual words say. And as we remember Christ, we remember his perfect life, his obedient death, his glorious resurrection, his joyous ascension into heaven. As uh, Brother Kuhlman would say, that that whole package, that whole enchilada, as uh, we are pondering God's gift of Christ's body and blood to us for forgiveness, life, and salvation. The uh, last line on uh, stanza four, this word remains forever true. Uh, it seems like we've got a little bit of a pattern here, don't we, Pastor? Because in stanza three, firm as a rock, this truth shall stand. The, uh, the hymnist is proclaiming that this is true. This is not open for debate. The, this is true because God says so. And then he goes on to say in uh, stanza four, this word remains forever true. All things are possible with you. For you are Lord Almighty. What is uh, what's the hymn uh, the hymnist referencing when he says all things are possible for you? Well, uh, he's he's referencing uh, scripture itself that says that very thing. All things are possible with God. But what he's really meaning here is. Um, you say it's not possible for God to be in Jesus, to be up in heaven and here on the altar for me to eat and to drink, uh, then you're really denying the definition of what God is. You're changing the definition of God so that he's not almighty, um, and you can't do that. I mean, 
you, you can do it, but then you're wrong. <laughs> uh, and, and so since God is almighty, he can do whatever God wishes, and he can be wherever he wants to be when he wants to be there, even more than one place at one time, which we, we do see then also perhaps on Easter Sunday itself where Jesus seems to be talking to the disciples in the upper room at the same time he's with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, at least being able to move very quickly between one spot and another. And so we see that in Scripture itself. And I was thinking specifically of Luke chapter 1, where uh, the angel comes, the angel Gabriel comes and tells Mary that she's going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. And she says, how can this be since I am a virgin? And uh, Gabriel says, uh, with God, nothing is impossible. It's kind of funny to make God who created everything that exists by the power of his word subject to that creation as if all of a sudden now the creation is in charge and so he has to obey the laws of physics. It just doesn't work that way. And I would submit that a denial of the real presence of Christ's body and blood in with and under bread and wine is at least in some way, shape, or form a denial of the incarnation. Um, our our uh, Reformed and evangelical friends would, would never want to deny the incarnation. They haven't connected those dots. And so a hymn like this can help connect and reinforce those dots for Christians. Pastor, uh, you want to read stanza five? Yeah. Though reason cannot understand, yet faith this true embraces. Your body, Lord, is even now at once in many places. I leave to you how this can be. Your word alone suffices me. I trust its truth unfailing. And uh, stanza five is really building and uh, further explaining stanza four. We've got two and three that go together, and we've got four and five that go together. It's, it's really kind of sticking your tongue out at the Calvinists and, uh, you know, blowing raspberries at them and waving your arms and saying, neener, 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 you guys are wrong. It's, it's really great that way. And in stanza five, though reason cannot understand. That's true. Reason cannot comprehend this. Yeah. If your God is your reason, you're never going to get this right. Um, reason can't understand, yet faith, this truth, embraces. And the truth that he is uh, talking about here, your body, Lord, is even now, at once, in many places. What's he talking about there, Pastor? Well, I'm going to just do a little bit of theology here. The The crazy thing is, is it's not just God's uh, in heaven in Jesus, and he's on the altar in Jesus, each little morsel of bread that we partake in contains the whole Jesus. Each little sip of wine that we drink contains the whole blood of Jesus. We get the whole uh, kit and caboodle in each little bit. And so when when I come up to communion, I get the whole Jesus. And then the next person who gets communion after me gets the whole Jesus. Everybody does. And so in that sense, Christ's body is truly present for forgiveness, life, and salvation. And each little bit of bread that's eaten and each little bit of wine that's drank. And uh, that's truly a miracle that this particular hymn is then... Uh, teaching us about. Let's keep going with that theology, Pastor. You know, we we work very, very hard so that we don't have any leftovers, any reliquy. And so depending on uh, how many people show up for the divine service, 
we may be breaking wafers in half so somebody gets a half a wafer at the end or we may have a few extra where somebody gets two or three wafers if they're at the end of the reception are you telling me that somebody that gets a half a wafer is getting the whole jesus and that somebody gets three or four wafers is getting the whole jesus and uh, the amount of bread doesn't make any difference that's exactly the truth yes and I think that needs to be said um, and reinforced again and again and again. Um, it goes on, stanza five, I leave to you how this can be. Your word alone suffices me. I trust its truth unfailing. I wish that more and more Christians could embrace that line, your word alone suffices me. I think that is a marvelous, marvelous confession of the faith and one that each one of us can and should cling to. Let's listen to stanza five now, LSB 622, Lord Jesus Christ, you have prepared as we go into our next break. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We come together to help people feel a little bit more at home in their hymnal. Right now we're looking at hymnody in uh, Lutheran service books, specifically communion or Lord's Supper hymns. And we have parked the car this episode, episode 47, on LSB 622. Lord Jesus Christ, you have prepared. Coming back from the break, we heard stanza six. Uh, Pastor, you want to read those words for us, and uh, we'll pick them apart. Stanza six. Lord, I believe what you have said. Help me when doubts assail me. Remember that I am but dust, and let my faith not fail me. Your supper in this veil of tears refreshes me and stills my fears and is my priceless treasure. Now, we've had that word imagery, priceless treasure, often in the uh, 
communion hymns that we've sang, and I, I don't think we need to beat that to death. It is a priceless treasure, not with gold, silver or gold, but with his holy precious blood. It is innocent suffering death. Um, this is talking about the strengthening of faith that happens in and through the Lord's Supper. Pastor, we have talked about the forgiveness of sins. We've talked about the bodily presence. The one thing we probably have not emphasized a lot is the fact that the Lord's Supper actually strengthens the faith of a Christian. Uh, You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. um, I mean, in this world, we face lots of challenges and doubts and struggles and, and pains and sufferings. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper, our faith is fed and our trust in Christ is fed. And it is fed by the body and blood of Jesus so that it actually helps us to live our daily life to come to the Lord's Supper often, which is why it should be celebrated often and not just a, a rare occasion at church. When uh, when we are weak, when we are doubting, when we are afraid, this is when the Lord's Supper is that precious treasure, that great gift, because God not only gives us the forgiveness of sins, he strengthens our faith for this difficult journey. One of the uh, biblical references that is listed with this hymn is Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 29. And uh, Pastor, I don't know, do you have that handy uh, yeah. what, what does Jesus teach us there in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We don't often think of those words of Jesus in the context of the Lord's Supper. But that is exactly what the Lord's Supper is designed for, to give us comfort, to give us rest, to give peace to that weary heart that is bombarded by the devil, the world, and our flesh. Pastor, stanza seven is, uh, to me, again, one of these awesome stanzas because it teaches us that not only does God want us to be a worthy participant of the Lord's Supper, but he teaches that it's possible to be an unworthy participant. Do you want to read those words? Sure. Grant that we worthily receive your supper, Lord, our Savior, and truly grieving for our sins may prove by our behavior that we are thankful for your grace and day by day may run our race in holiness increasing. Wow, that is uh, that is a stanza that flies in the face of every antinomian Christian, uh, every antinomian Lutheran that is out there. What am I talking about, Pastor? Well, those who say the law no longer applies to us, that we can do what we wish to and uh, not worry about it, just trusting in the forgiveness of sins. It, it, it's it's not that our sins are not forgiven, they are, but also because we have that new man living within us through the waters of holy baptism, fed by the Lord's Supper, that new man wishes to do what is good, right, and salutary in our life and seeks to keep the law. And it is definitely a battle that goes on within us, and yet it is real to acknowledge that fact. When we are a worthy recipient we are truly sorry for our sins and sincerely desiring to amend our sinful life. That is part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. And, you know, 
so often the knock on Lutheranism is, oh, yeah, yeah, you're all about the forgiveness of sins, but you don't care how people live. And that is absolutely not true. A true Lutheran emphasizes not only the forgiveness of sins, justification, but the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament to grow us in the faith. And as that last uh line in that stanza seven says, in holiness increasing. Let's listen to stanza seven of Lord Jesus Christ you have prepared. That day by day may run our race in holiness increasing. What a beautiful poetic line right there for us. Um, just absolutely awesome. Uh, Pastor, uh, we want to have time yet in our uh, segment here to do the uh, Wolf Mueller Hymn Cruncher. We both know what that's going to look like here. So um, I want to I want to look at verse or stanza eight because stanza eight is a little bit different. And uh, the focus here has been on the real presence of Christ's body and blood, the forgiveness of sins, my unworthiness, my weariness, my burden, Christ comforting, Christ strengthening, Christ increasing, uh, Christ uh, uh, giving me uh, forgiveness, life, and salvation. And now in stanza eight, it really kind of recaps what we've been talking about. You want to read those words? For your consoling supper, Lord, be praised throughout all ages. Preserve it, for in every place the world against it rages. Grant that this sacrament may be a blessed comfort unto me when living and when dying. What's he teaching here, Pastor? Well, he's teaching us um, kind of a third use of the law in a way. He's teaching us to uh, live our lives giving thanks to God for the gifts that he gives and to face the challenges that are about uh, in the forgiveness, life, and salvation given to us, and also to take that all the way to our own death um, so that we might have peace and comfort even as we face the greatest challenge in this world. And it it emphasizes something that I'm not sure that I've seen in too many communion hymns, and that is, Lord, the world is raging against this sacrament. Preserve it. Preserve it in your truth and purity. Preserve it as you have given it to us as a gift. And uh, praise be to God. We pray that God would preserve it among us. Pastor, the uh, Wolf Mueller hymn cruncher. We've looked at this many times. Uh, is Jesus mentioned? 
Yes, he is. Now, I don't know that it says directly that he's crucified and risen, but it definitely talks about how in things that Christ has done, we are receiving forgiveness, life, and salvation. So that's yeah, I important. Think, I think talking about his body and blood certainly implies that. Yes. Uh, is the song clear? Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Is there any mysticism? Is the song about things God has done or about my own emotions and experiences? It doesn't deny our emotions, but it is definitely about the things God has done and is doing still in the Lord's Supper. Does this song proclaim the law in its sternness and the gospel in its sweetness? Yes. And uh, is there any explicit false teaching? No. No, none whatsoever. Uh, Pastor, in your very, very subjective Pastor Moline 1 to 10 rating, uh, how are you going to rate this hymn? Well, I think for a communion hymn, you have to rate it really high. I think I'd give it a nine, a nine and a half, and, uh, and let it be one of the good ones that we should sing. Yes, and I, th- I think with that understanding that it is specifically written in preparation, reception, reflection upon the Lord's Supper, uh, you know, I'm going to give it about a 9.9, and uh, the only reason I'm not going to give it a 10 is uh, because there are certain times in the worship service when a hymn like this probably just wouldn't be appropriate, especially in a matins or a vespers type service when you're not. Of course, even then, if you're anticipating the Lord's Supper coming up, so... Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, it is it is a great hymn, it is an awesome hymn, and it teaches the faith. What a true hymn, what separates a hymn from a, a little ditty or a spiritual song uh, is the fact that it conveys the deep truths of Scripture. And here we have the deep truths of Christ's real presence in, with, and under bread and wine for us Christians to eat and drink. It is done masterfully and beautifully. Pastor, I'm going to give you the final word on him uh, LSB 622 Lord Jesus Christ you have prepared I, I think again you see here especially in our world this is a great hymn for us to learn because it directly addresses many of the questions that uh, here in America we have against the Lord's Supper that come from the direction of Calvinism and the general Protestantism of our our land and so Putting this hymn to memory is is helpful to give you the answers and to drive you back to Christ's own words, this is my body, this is my blood, uh, so that we can answer those questions directly. Memorize the verba, memorize this hymn, and rejoice in God's special gift of the Lord's Supper for you. This has been episode 47 of At Home in Your Hymnal, Lord Jesus Christ, you have prepared. As we bring things to a close today, let's listen to stanza eight, and may God richly bless you in Jesus Christ.